I was just thinking this morning, I have three, three different uh, theological schools to thank for the training that I've received. Um, I'm currently a student of Briarcrest uh, Seminary. Anyone like Briarcrest? Yeah. Awesome school. We're so lucky to be this close to such a world-class Bible college and seminary. And uh, I just took a class there two weeks ago on wisdom literature, and uh, it was phenomenal. And now I just have to do the assignments, which is less phenomenal because (laughs) I'm busy. (laughs) But it's great. Uh, The other school, I I took one class at Canadian Bible College. Did anyone ever go to Canadian Bible College? Yeah, a number of you. So I... I guess I'm technically an alumni taking one class, or maybe that doesn't count. I'm not sure. And, uh, but then where I started out in taking theological training was Eston College. And one of the stories that I found quite neat uh, to follow about Eston College is um, the story of their big move. And um, there's an article in Faith Today about it. And this is the headline. I'll just read you the headline. Eston College moves to Regina giving away campus in Eston. Now, I was at Eston College when they made the announcement. There was a huge alumni weekend, and all the alumni had come back because it was going to be sort of the last big weekend in Eston. And I remember when the president, uh, Sean Stephen Douglas, got up and he announced that they were just giving away the campus uh, to Village of Hope. It was a pretty faith-inspiring moment. In fact, I I just remember just the significance of, God, I think, you know, you're just doing an amazing thing here uh, between Eston College and Village of Hope. And uh, so so it was neat sort of to be on the front end of that that exchange and sort of hear about that. But today we're going to hear about the other side of that exchange. And so this is going to be pretty awesome. Uh, I'm excited to hear uh, sort of as, uh, who used to say that? The rest of the story. Paul Harvey, thank you. You guys are so good. You know all the trivia. Okay. So I wanna, I'm going to introduce, introduce um, the founder of Village of Hope. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about him. So Mark Vahey, uh we've known him for many years. In fact, there's been uh, deep connections at our church we, for many years, we had a, a women's missionary group, and they were longtime supporters of Village of Hope. Uh, it was a small band of uh, ladies who gave lots and lots of money towards missions throughout the years. And so we would often see uh, Mark Vahey or Andrew Vahey come through and, and visit, and they were, uh, there was a, a deep tie-in with our church. Well, um, let me tell you a little bit about Mark Vahey. In the uh, late 70s, he was a Bible smuggler in Eastern Europe. So he's living in West Germany and smuggling Bibles into the Soviet Union and Eastern Bloc countries. And uh, then he came back to Canada, to uh, the Maritimes in Fredericton, and uh, he was there uh, serving at Smythe Street Cathedral, uh, which is one of our family of churches here in Canada, and waiting for the, the, the fall of the Iron Curtain praying for and believing that that could happen. And uh, then he, he went back to Estonia in 1991. And uh, of course, that was, you know, the Berlin Wall had fallen two years earlier. And then one by one, uh, the countries in the Eastern Bloc of, of, of that area of the world began to uh, change. And uh, a dramatic shift happened in our world. 
In fact, if you're a Gen Xer, some people say that the most significant moment in the life of a Gen Xer, which I am one, was the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was sort of one of those can't believe it moments when you were still in your formative years. It was a world uh, shifting dynamic that uh, was, was very significant. Um, they, Mart and his group in Estonia, they had a real uh, a flurry of church planting back in those days. I think in the span of about four years, they planted 60 churches. And um, they started in 2000, the Village of Hope, the very first Village of Hope in Estonia. And uh, so they've since started a Village of Hope in 2015. They started Village of Hope in New Brunswick and now uh, are looking to begin, well, they are beginning, a new Village of Hope in Eston, Saskatchewan. And so we're going to hear more about this story and we're going to hear more about the people who are involved in that ministry but I want you to just give a, the best Moose Jaw and Hillcrest welcome you can to Mart Vahi as he comes. Would you welcome him? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Steve. And uh, you are, you know, you come to a church and it doesn't take me very long to get the temperature of things. And uh, my temperature gauge went right through the roof because uh, you are, whether you know it or not, a very, very friendly church. Give yourself a hand. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I feel warm welcome. And uh, so do the rest of our, our team. Um, you know, like some people I've known for some time, like Willard Mitchell, who's also a delight to see this morning, who also was, had been in Estonia. And then I found out Laura, your children's uh, pastor, uh, was also in Estonia. And who else might have been? I'm sorry if I missed you, but uh, during those early years. And of course, great to see people like Dave Wicks, uh, Wicks and, uh, of course, um, just a real nice, uh, you know, Crystal, you're uh, one of your secretaries. I just absolutely looked after everything this morning. Karen arranged everything, and uh, you put, up, uh, put us up for the night. Um, just very, very delightful. Thank you so much. And then I could hardly believe it when I saw Kirk uh, Buchanan, because I think last time he was about yay high. Uh, and uh, something's happened in the meantime. Uh, either I've grown older or he's grown bigger. I guess both of us happened. So we are very, very delighted. Uh, the Village of Hope is not only uh, me, myself. Actually, let me make a couple little corrections. It was actually Andrew and myself that were the founders of the Village of Hope. There would be no Village of Hope today if it not, had not been for my son, Andrew, and I'll tell you about that in my message uh, later on. But we have a wonderful team of people that uh, have come from actually New Brunswick and Salmon Arms. So they come from one end of the country to the, the other, and uh, I want to introduce them. Of course, my wife, I'm very happy she's put up with me for 
many years. <laughs> and uh, then uh, we have uh, Kyle, who, and Kyle and Ben, and also Caleb, and they're all, we're all living in Eston, and uh, I'll say a bit about, about them. Just great team members, uh, very young in the Lord, very young. Um, let's, uh, I don't want to get into it right now, but uh, we are not in the addictions recovery ministry. Some think that we are in the addictions recovery ministry. Well, first of all, what do they recover to? And is that all there is to life is getting recovered from addiction? But we are in a disciple-making business, and that's what God called us to. But we take these people whose lives are very, very messed up and mixed up, and it's a matter, for most of them, it's a matter of life and death, because in Saskatchewan alone, in the last three years, there was a hundred, a thousand overdose uh, deaths. A thousand in Saskatchewan, and it's no surprise to me why we're here. And uh, that's the story of these li- uh, these guys' lives. I love them. And then, of course, we have uh, a volunteer uh, couple that, uh, well, they were planning on uh, retiring. They're seniors, but they're not retired because they're very active. They joined us from Salmon Arm uh, and came and joined us in Eston. Alex and Sylvia, please stand up also. And I'll mention, I'll mention more about them uh, very shortly. But just to give you an idea, because a lot of people do not know what the Village of Hope is all about, and actually what recovery ministry is all about. And so to kind of uh, put a, uh, a groundwork to it, it, it it's, it's, um, it's a very challenging ministry. It is a life-changing ministry. We are not a mercy ministry. We don't just uh, give you a bed and a, and a place to sleep and, and a place to eat. But uh, those that come to the Village of Hope come for one reason only, uh, in, as far as they're concerned. They don't know they're in the, in the discipleship-making uh, business uh, they're coming into, but uh, they come because they need their lives changed. And it's a matter of life and death for these people. And so just to give you a little idea, uh, we will uh, play a video. And this video was taken in New Brunswick, the Village Hall, primarily the same program today uh, before operated in Estonia, it still is, and also we've started in Finland. This year we started in Cuba and Eston, and so it's, uh, it's happening very fast right now. But it, this fil- was filmed in New Brunswick, where we started about, uh, what was it now, about 14 years ago. And so, if you want, uh, you will be able to get an idea of what the Village of Hope is about. So, let's have the video right now. I thought I was the weakest link out of them all. If anything, I I mean, just the low self-worth, the low value, everything of how I felt, I just felt like crawling into a grave and dying. (laughs) 
the Village of Hope is a, it's a structured uh, in-residence program. You know, we work here with men and their families. Uh, the men come live here for 10 months in the program, and we go through classroom teachings, uh, very interactive style of teaching where we're dealing with all their hurts and wounds from the past, their attitudes, their character defects, and all these kinds of things. Um, but really trying to get to the root issues of why do we go back to drugs? Why would we go back to drinking, even though it has caused so much damage uh, in our lives and to our families and the ones we love? Honestly, I just get the ball I can give anybody is continue to work on myself and for transformation and change. Um, it's, uh, I know that it's, it's the best place for me right now, and I know I've got a lot to work on, but it's, uh, it's a pretty full schedule here. After the classes in the mornings, the guys go to work every day because the work ethic is an important part also of the program uh, to learn how to deal with those issues that arise in those day-to-day -day life situations, um, like the pressures of a job site, how to work as a team, how to be in relationship with others and work towards a common goal and all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, definitely the work is an important part of the, of the program, but also it helps to provide for them to be here um, because we, we, we are establishing businesses on site where we can produce products and sell those to be able to keep the cost low and make this opportunity available to anyone, uh, whether they have finances or not. Um, but also in the evenings we have different activities and group situations, um, games, sports, all kinds of things like that. But everything that we do really is designed towards the man's development, uh, and that takes a 10-month process for them to go through. 200 acres, I mean, you, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, relationships and uh, things that are just meaning. And I never really had any purpose in life. But now today, just knowing what is here and what I have here, uh, I believe that the Lord just really opened my eyes to that. And uh, it's a true gift. And I mean, you're under His grace, you know, to be able to come to a place like this. We work with men um, that are in, in every different uh, aspect of life. You know, uh, it usually takes a crisis to make us sort of wake up and say, I need to make a change. This is the point where I've had enough and I need to do something different in my life. And those are usually the kind of people that are ready for the Village of Hope. And so we meet them sometimes on the streets or sometimes after they've lost everything or sometimes in a prison after they've been arrested or, or awaiting trial or awaiting uh, court date sentencing and different things like that. And sometimes it's just people that say, look, uh, my family, uh, I'm going to lose them if I don't come and get help. And if that's you um, and you're watching this video, there is hope. You know, them hurts and pains. We get to work through the things here that I deal with on a regular basis through either the job site or, you know, just fellowship uh, with the other guys that are here. And um, I can, you know, as these things arise, these issues arise, I, I'm able to deal with them uh, in a healthy manner, in a healthy way. It's something that I've never experienced. Oftentimes, uh, in drug and alcohol addiction, the worst thing that we could ever believe is that there's no hope for us, um, because it's that hope hanging on to it and saying, you know, I, I believe that I can do something different. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Um, if you really put in the effort, 
I believe that, that you can have that success. Um, I was throwing my life away to drugs and alcohol as a teenager, and uh, I never knew that I would be doing what I am today. Um, but I'm very thankful today that God had different plans for me than I had for myself. And uh, it wasn't until I started believing that I started to make a change and started to see God do something in my life. And so I just want to encourage everybody out there to not stop believing, to always believe, to always hang on to hope, because if we don't give up, you will make it. And I wish I could bring to you the, I, I think we have somewhere 1,500 that have come through the program. And I would say about 95% of them uh, have found Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Had come into the program. Um, there's no sense of coming to Village of Hope and saying, well, there's a familiar Bible story. Uh, open to the book of John. They will start looking at the index to find where the book of John is because uh, there's nothing familiar uh, before. And I wish I could bring them all to you today, and of course it's an impossibility, but we can just bring a, a, a couple of guys uh, to you today. Um, and one of them is Kyle. Kyle came into the program just a little over a year ago, didn't have a clue about Jesus or Lord or anything, and he'll tell his own story. But today he's serving, helping, start a new program in Eston. And uh, so it's not just uh, getting drug alcohol free. Come on, Carl, tell your story. Thank you. Good morning, church. So, yeah, um, like Mark was saying, I uh, didn't know the Lord. Uh, I mean, I'm 37 years old. I was born and raised in New Brunswick, and for 36 of those 37 years, I had no idea who Jesus Christ was, and I, um, you know, I started at a very young age uh, believing a lie that was given to me that I wasn't worthy, wasn't worthy of a family, and that drove me to addiction and uh, into crime, and uh, at the age of 16, um, doing a lot of bad things, like, uh, you know, uh, doing and selling uh, chemical drugs and I have two younger brothers, and my two younger brothers, I, you know, supposed to be a positive influence in their life, and I chose the opposite. I was a bad influence, and uh, that also brought my brother, one of them, back into addiction or into addiction with me. So, in doing that, uh, you know, looking back, you know, I could uh, once again start believing lies that I'm not worthy, that I couldn't. And I did for a long time, well, for, until I was 36. Uh, they talk about having to hit rock bottom, and rock bottom looks different for everyone. And when you think someone's hit rock bottom, you know, there's multiple rock bottoms they can hit. I had thought, you know, when I went to the hospital with lungs burnt from the chemical, burnt from the chemical use, burning my lungs and spending a, a month in the hospital, uh, with atypical abscesses, trying to find a way for my blood to be oxygenated again. But that was my rock bottom, and still it was years after that. I ended up working. Uh, I had cleaned my life up a little bit, still using chemicals every day, but uh, 
just uh, not projecting that on other people. And so I was working seven days a week, doing everything I could just to be able to stay in, stay, well, to feel normal, really. Because at one point, you didn't know, it's not, you're not having fun. Drug use turns into a chore, turns into a personal hell. And uh, that's where I was. So I was uh, working seven days a week, roofing. And uh, you want to talk about the power of prayer. You know, my brother, he's at the Village of Hope. He's been saved, and uh, he actually was in SLT, servant leader training, on his way to being staff. And we have a circle up where we get to share our feelings and ask for a prayer requests and really just open up with the group. And uh, he would share that uh, he would want a prayer request, and he'd pray that, uh, that I would hit rock bottom so that I'd choose a different way, so that I'd come find Jesus Christ and, and be saved and get the healing I needed. And sometimes I ask him, like, you know, why'd you pray that I hit rock bottom? I mean, that was hard. But that was what I needed. It was, uh, sure, it was a hard process, but it's uh, done amazing things in my life, that rock bottom. Like, when I hit rock bottom, I was uh, roofing seven days a week, like I said, um, making a lot of money, but not spending any on myself, just spending it all on the chemicals. I was walking backwards on this roof, and uh, two stories up, and I uh, just walking backwards and didn't realize that the edge was there, and I slipped right off the edge. I fell two stories, and as I'm falling, I mean, it was a split second. I had no chance to react. Just within a, within a few seconds, I'm up two stories, down on the ground on a concrete pathway and as I was falling right before I hit the ground there was a tree that was there and it stood me up straight as I fell backwards like this and uh, when it stood me up straight it slowed my fall I landed on the balls of my heels then landed on my uh, my rear and I just sat there like okay I'm, I'm obviously hurt I've broken something you know I've heard of people falling two stories before and they've, you know, really bad injuries that come from that. Broken femurs, broken ankles. So I'm sitting there, patting myself down, being like, i got to be in shock. And uh, no, I uh, didn't even have a scratch, not a bruise, not a bruise on me. And that's, you know, that was God. That was God saving me so that I could go to the Village of Hope. Because that night, my car broke down. There was a twisted event here you know I fall off a roof my car breaks down I have no money because of my chemical use so I go to my mom's because my boss lives close to there and uh, spent the night there had supper woke up the next morning and go to message my boss there's no answer go to message my my dealer there's no answer but then I hear my mom working and starting coffee in the kitchen and just something came over me I was like well I'm not going to make it any further I'm not going to be able to survive like this any longer so I asked her to come in the room, and that's when I asked, I said, I need help. I definitely need help. I need to go to the Village of Hope. And I didn't know what help looked like. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, maybe a little, I seen the pictures, I thought a camp in the woods, you know, or a little retreat. Well, that's not what help looked like, but I even told mom on the way there, well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be a Christian like Alex, you know, I'm just going to get my recovery, I'm going to. I'm just going to be sober, and that's it. And within three weeks, I was giving my heart to the Lord, and I saw the amazing miracles that he does, and I wanted to be, I wanted my piece of that. 
And then the miracles just keep on going. Like, I got to be baptized by my younger brother who uh, led the way for my recovery and, and my save, you know, to be saved by Jesus Christ. And, and then I got to baptize with my brother, our mother. So it was an amazing time. So I, um, one last thing I wanted to end on is I've heard before it was a teacher and he taught, he said, you know, he used to think that all oh, this Christian life, it could be boring. I, I don't want to be a Christian because that's boring. There's too many rules. And the truth is, if you're a boring Christian, it's just because you're a boring person. Because my life has been extremely exciting. Well, love you all and thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle, and uh, it's, a, it's a pretty marvelous thing. This is just one guy, and you hear the stories, and uh, you see the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in real action, and uh, that's what I love about this ministry. It's so black and white. Um, you know, either they're re being recovered, saved, becoming disciples of Jesus, or they're not, and not all make it, but... Uh, the vast majority do, which is about 79%. And um, uh, it, it is, it's, it's an exciting, it's a very, very exciting to listen to the stories. Um, one of the ways that we support the Village of Hope and, and the minister we do is by becoming partners. And we do this in Estonia, we do this uh, in New Brunswick all over. And you can have the opportunity to become a partner by sponsoring somebody $35 a month for the next year. But it's not only just signing up to support somebody. You can write them letters of encouragement. We will send you information about this person uh, so that you can be an encouragement. Some of these people have destroyed all their relationships. Uh, you know, the Village of Hope is a home to the majority of guys because they have destroyed everything else in their lives. But the story, of course, is the beautiful part. If one recovers, then there's a restoration of not only the one that is an addict, but it's the whole family. Uh, because an addict will use and manipulate grandmother, grandfather, uh, children, aunts, uncles, husbands, wives, and uh, by the way, uh, it's not only guys, it's uh, gals that are in the program too. Today we have uh, both in Estonia and also in New Brunswick, and it will also be in Eston. We will have a ladies' program. We do have a ladies' program in these other places. Uh, very beautiful stories coming out of there also. But um, uh, this is one of the major ways that we have and have support. And then, of course, when comes graduation, graduation is a wonderful time because generally the family comes there. And it's wonderful when you graduated, uh, Kyle, because uh, your mom and dad, who had split up and uh, were remarried now, but both partners came. And it was like a family reunion that would have never happened. And there they're all, you know, you shedding tears all over the place. They're all crying, and we're all crying, and we're thinking it's beautiful because it's a restoration of a whole family. And um, so graduation is a wonderful time. 
and we would encourage you to become a partner. And if you do become a partner, we will give you a bottle of uh, maple syrup. And this maple syrup, and I'll tell you the story behind it all, the maple syrup is made in the village of Hope in New Brunswick. Um, and oh, you might get it cheaper in Costco or somewhere, but uh, it's not the same stuff. This is all homemade and made with love. And with that, you also support the Village of Hope when you do. But if you become a partner, we'll let you have one uh, absolutely free. And you can ho go home and enjoy it and sweeten up the whole family. But to keep your pastor sweet, we're going to uh, give him a bottle. <laughs> Got to keep the pastor sweet. Thank you so much. Next we have Ben. Ben and uh, Kyle both came uh, to Essen. Uh, when we were, we were handed the keys over on August the 4th, and Ben's been there ever since. And um, Ben, uh, uh, the, you know, he's one of these same hopeless case, but uh, I saw Ben, and I saw something in Ben that I knew one day that he'd be serving Jesus, just like Kyle, the same way. It's very unusual for us to take a guy like Kyle, that when he graduates, he's doing his servant leadership training right now, in essence, right on the field. And of course, that's why we're there also, guiding them along. But um, it's really great to have these guys. You know, Jesus said to the fishermen, follow me. And I can say about Ben and Kyle, they just said, follow me, okay, and I will make you fishers of men. So the responsibility of making the disciples isn't theirs, it's mine. But they need to follow. And I remember when um, Kyle graduated, I said, Kyle, have you got your bags packed? Because I think we're going to take you out to this. And he said, I'm ready. <laughs> just like that. And Ben has been the same way. So Ben, come on up here, share your story. All right, good morning, Hillcrest. How's it going? Good. Um, so my name is Ben, and I'm going to be explaining to you uh, just exactly why the Village of Hope is significant and just, you know, re you know, remarkable enough for me to kind of explain why that this is kind of separate from sort of any other treatment center that you might be familiar with. So just a little, about, little bit about myself. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously I was an addict, and so for quite a while, um, I went through Village of Hope and stuff like that, and I mean, I mean, look, it's, uh, I was kind of a repeat offender in the sense that I had to go through the program over and over again, and so unfortunately, when I, you know, unfortunately, my mind was kind of at a point where it's, it's, I thought it was, I was at a point of no return, so um, at a young, around 17 or so, I began using a street drug called crystal meth, if you're familiar with it, and at that point, my mind was used to such a high amount of stimulus, and um, just, it eventually got to a point where 
doing everyday things with your family, like even going for a walk or just sitting down and talking over a cup of coffee or talking about, you know, just, just those small precious moments that some of us learn to value, that would at some point lose, you know, all of, all of its importance and I would just dread dreaded doing the basic things. And unfortunately, you know, I, I enrolled in the Village of Hope and I would see all these graduates, all these people succeeding after 10 months. I would see that, you know, they would be getting their families back. They would go on to lead a life of their own and they're no longer being held down by their addiction. And here I am, I'm, I'm watching these guys graduate and it's like I'm still, I was still falling back. It was still seared into my brain. Just what I, like, I would go to bed and I would dream about when's the next time I'm going to be using. Like, there's no escape from that. Like, that's why I learned sobriety is not the answer. And that's when Mart said, we're not, we're not focused on sobriety because even when I was sober, this is the issue. Even when I was sober, all I could think about was when I can get my next fixed. Now look, I wouldn't be here talking about this stuff working if I wasn't convinced that God actually changed me through the village. I mean, do you really think that if you would have met me a few years ago when I was on the street and like I was deep into it, do you th- what do you think I would have said if you would have told me, well, you know, a couple years from now, you're going to be at Hillcrest talking about how Jesus changed your life, and you're going to be telling a whole bunch of people about it. I would have told you where to go. I would have said, quit wasting my time. So just put that into perspective and, and, and hear out the significance, because Mart and his organization had a huge quite a deal to do with my life changing, and God used them. See, I, I graduated two times, okay? And even after the second time, this is how severe I was. On the, sec, on the day of my graduation, when I graduated twice, I went out and I used after 10 months of sobriety. Now, at that point, you're like, okay, I remember I was coming downstairs and my mom was happy, you know, she's, she was happy, she, was, she got her son back and, um, you know, I remember looking into her eyes and, and I seen the joy because she didn't know that I was using, you know, as, as soon as I got home. Like, that's, how do you get back from that? You know, and, and she, showed, she found this video cassette tape. Well, it was just the audio and... You know, she wanted to show me something. She was really excited, and uh, she played a she played a video of me and her playing. And I was still maybe three years old, and I was just learning how to talk. And wow, I'm there listening to her speaking to me, and she was so excited, and the joy in her face. And you know, she thought she finally had me back, and there I was, just completely couldn't tell left from right. Wow, that hit that moment hit pretty hard. I said I said, God, you know, I don't I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Cause I couldn't I couldn't handle a minute sober. So how do you change that? How does a doctor or how does any facility change that? It's the, here's the thing, there's no there's no external solution for an internal problem. And that's exactly when I say that 
I finally accepted God and I was open enough because I went through enough hell. I said, this is when the change happens. And I hit my rock bottom, which, which was me going to hell. And that was bad enough in itself. And I accepted God and, and I don't know, it's been on the up and up ever since. And I'm really thankful for Village of Hope. And uh, I'm also thankful that you take your time to listen to me. Because if I didn't feel that this was significant enough to share, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing it. I don't like talking to strangers either. But I think, like, I even tell people about this too. And, and just about the crazy things that have happened in my life. And, you know, sometimes they'll look at me weird. Like, they're like, all right, this guy's talking, you know. Because... If I was, if you would have told me a few years ago that I'd be here, I wouldn't believe you. That just wouldn't happen. Like, my life was, when am I going to get my next fix? So, something must be up if I'm up here. There's something, something's going on. So, I, anyway, thank you for your attention, and uh, also thank you for the hospitality of Karen, um, for, you know, letting me and Mart stay there, and, you know, she gave us cereal, and... So it was all good. So thanks, Karen, wherever you are. And thank you very much. Well, there you have it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And um, that's what I love about it. These guys are serious, serious changes in their lives. But it shows us the effectiveness of the true gospel of Jesus Christ that something good can happen in your life if you, live, if you let God do that and let God give God a chance, no matter where you are. It's, you don't have to be a drug addict, an alcoholic, but no matter where you are, Jesus will meet you at your point of need uh, and desire if you're open to him. And I've seen it worse, work in the worst of conditions, the hopelessness of some of these people's lives. I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, guys like Raymond uh, today that leads the Village of Hope in Estonia. You know, th does it just start and finish at, the, at, at recovery? No. Raymond today leads the Village of Hope in Estonia. But eight years ago, he came to us a hopeless, uh, helpless, drug addict, alcoholic, uh, came from a, a, a 15 overdoses. And he's not a big strapping guy, like with all tattoos and everything. Just a skinny, looks like a skinny college kid. And um, 15 overdoses, 20 of his friends are dead today. And uh, Raymond, including the, the gal he lived with, they're all dead today. But Raymond came to Village Hope. He was court ordered there. The, uh, the judge gave him either four years in prison or four months at the Village of Hope. So Ryman says, well, you have to be stupid not to, you know, go to Village of Hope for four months. And so Ryman came there and he said, I'll fool them all and everything. But one day as he was working behind the sawmill in the middle of the winter, the load got heavy and Ryman said, I couldn't bear it any longer. And I dropped on my knees into the snowbank bank, and I said, Jesus, take my load, take me. And he said, Jesus came into my heart, and everything changed. And today, uh, Raymond, you know, it's beautiful to listen to him. He speaks in schools all over Estonia. 
uh, and leads the village of hope, uh, helping, helping hundreds of others that come there uh, to receive help. And this is what we're talking about. This is not some little program off in the corner or some little thing that we're starting in Essen. This is very serious stuff and very serious needs. But you see, God is very unique. And uh, today, I stand before you. We all are here today as a product of the destiny and purpose of God. See, God had a greater purpose for Kyle and, and, and Caleb and Ben and others than just to, to, to be a drug addict. God had a better purpose. God has a better purpose for every one of our lives. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you not to simply be satisfied with the status quo, not simply to get by, but let something great happen as the destiny of God grips your heart. You see, it was years in the end of the war in 1944 when my mom and my dad with my uh, two-month-old sister escaped uh, from the Russian forces that overthrew our country and we lost our freedom. They never saw their parents again. I had not been born yet, but in the middle of the Baltic Sea in an old three-masted boat that held that was already mothballed, but they pulled it out to try to escape the Russian forces coming from the island of Hiuma. They um, were my dad and my forefathers were all seafaring people. And they climbed aboard this old uh, three-masted sailboat and started across the ocean. 495 people on board. No water, no toilets, no food. And then in the middle of the Baltic storm, there came uh, uh, the captain who came down and said, listen, this ship will never survive the storm. But if somebody, somebody on this boat knows how to cry out to God, would you cry out to God? Because that's our only hope. My mother was not a Christian, but she believed in God, and she dropped her knees. She was terribly seasick. She couldn't hold her own baby. And uh, she dropped her knees. She said, Lord, help us to get to Sweden. And if we get to Sweden, I promise you. You know, she thought she had to do a little deal with God. She said, I promise you I'll go to church every Sunday. But you know, as simple as that prayer was, it touched the very chords of destiny that brings me here today. Somehow God had a bigger plan. God had a purpose and God heard that prayer, and although it was years later that she actually went to church every Sunday but never found God, unfortunately, then we came as immigrants to Canada, Pier, 50, Pier 21 in Halifax. I was a four-year-old kid, and my mom, in a, it was a Baptist church in St. John's City. She had some other Estonians that took her there, and she really would desire to know God, and she was very sick. She walked with crutches. And I remember the morning that the pastor delivered the message, so to speak, and asked if anybody wanted to give their lives to Jesus. My, my mom didn't understand a word of English, but she wanted God. She limped down that uh, altar and gave her heart to Jesus. I was an 80-year-old kid when I saw that, and my mom was instantly healed just like that. 
And I said, I want Jesus too. And my mom said, listen, you're too young. You don't know anything about these things. But listen, if you can believe in Santa Claus, you can believe in Jesus. And so I, I gave my heart to the Lord. And when I was, I was uh, uh, 13 years old, I used to pray, grew up in a farm, I milked the cows, fed the pigs and chickens and so on, but I'd pray out in that barn. And one day as I was praying, I sensed like Jesus walked into that barn and said, I want you to preach the gospel the rest of your life. And something of that destiny gripped my heart. And I have preached ever since. And I, you know, I didn't know where to start. Uh, so I put my Bible on the feed box, and the cows were all lined up nicely, and I preached to the cows. A good place to start. Anybody ought to start there. But you see, Psalms 139 and 15 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Now listen to this. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. In other words, God has your days. Don't live below them. Don't, li don't let anything rob you of the days that God has written in his book for your life and my life, whether you're a farmer, whether you're a um, policeman or a businessman. You can live... You don't have to just settle for what you have because God may have something much greater for you and a much greater purpose for what you're doing even today. And he says, in the days that were formed before me, when as yet there was none of them. God knew our story before there was even a thought of you or I. And so therefore, today, we become servants of not only Masters of ourselves, no, 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 no. We become and we walk into the very destiny of God itself, just like these guys. You know, Ben says, oh, who would have thought I was here? You know why, Ben, you're up here? Because God has a better plan for you. Your, your, your story was written in his book, and you kind of come to life and you found that out. And now you're walking out what God has designed for your life. And Kyle and, and you know, all of us fit in the same thing. Don't ever limit yourself. Don't ever limit yourself to the things that only you can see and understand. But raise your eyes and see what is written in the book of God. And the only way you can do that is let him, let him reveal himself to you. Listen to him. Watch what he does. You see, there would never be a village of hope today as far as I was concerned because, you know, like I went to Stoney, we smuggled Bibles. I could tell you Bible smuggling stories, uh, you know, until the cows come home, so to speak. Uh, but um, we would not only... Uh, see, I took the first Bibles to Stoney. I met my relatives for the first time. I could tell you that story. But... As, as I was leaving in Estonia, I thought, I'll never be back again. Enough of that. It was a scary experience. We took, actually, it was Brother Andrew, the author of God Smuggler, that gave me 50 hard-covered Bibles and said, if God's called you to Estonia, take them. Well, I was crazy enough to believe, and, and good for that, because we took all 50 across the border and took, uh, 
them all to Christians who were believing and praying and waiting on God for someone to bring them Bibles. And even though I saw all of that, I said, I'll never be back. I don't want to ever see. It was sad to see my relatives the way they lived. It was sad to see communism, the rawness of it, and it seemed like one big prison. I said, I'll never be back. But coming on a ship from Tallinn to Helsinki, God spoke to my heart and said, if you don't go back and help these kids, these people that you've been helping, Who's going to go back? I want you to go back. And there I submitted to what God wanted, to destiny, those things that God had written in his book, not what I had written in my book. And when I did, I determined to go back, and my wife and I went back. And like I said, it's many, many stories of how it was 200 Bibles the next time across the Russian border, and then hundreds and hundreds of Bibles, the most we ever took across the Russian border at one time. And they're just stories that would be hard to believe. But 6,700 Bibles crossed the border into the Soviet Union of that time. And we saw miracle after miracle after miracle where Armenia, where they prayed for years that God would send somebody down to them. I didn't have a clue they existed down there. And uh, we just felt to take 2,000 Armenian Bibles there. There's a little group of believers, and there was a revival among them, and there's 2,000. And that's seven Bibles down in Yerevan, seven Bibles. Uh, and the pastor, I met him a few years ago, and, you know, Monday was his Bible day. He got the Bible for one day, and they'd copy Scripture by hand, and then he'd send the Bible on to the, the next place uh, for the next person, and they kind of passed the Bible around. And when we got down there, uh, we drove all the way down there. We had three small children, my wife. Um, I can't begin to tell you what, what all that meant. But we got down there, and uh, we had 2,000 Armenian Bibles. And uh, exactly there was 2,000 Armenian believers without a Bible there. And see, God had a right. It was all written in the book of God. God has a bigger plan. And I visited there just a few years ago. Didn't even know half of their story. They didn't know my story. We finally met. And that church is over 5,000 today in Yerevan today. Those Armenians were jumping all over the place when I told them the story, how those first Bibles got there. But you see, God had it all planned. God has it all. God has your life planned. God has these things. Rise up to the occasion and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? See, so often we're telling God what he ought to be doing, but maybe we ought to stop for a moment and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? What, is it, what are the things that are written in your book? Um, and, and you see, after all these years, um, when we rested on the border and, and God said, don't worry about it, I'll open the door again. And, and I went and told the Estonians, uh, you know, one day we're going to be free again. And the old man would come pat me on the shoulder and say, oh, young man, that's a nice old story. But we'll never see that day happen. But we did see that day happen because God had a different plan for our country. And today Estonia is free. Of course, when we had started all these um, uh, works and everything, and I thought things were going wonderful, God spoke to me and said, you haven't even touched Estonia yet until you touch those who are in the deepest of darkness and despair. I didn't have a clue who these people were. 
and I took my grandfather's lands and I was going to build a village for these people that God was talking about. Andrew, my son, who you saw in the video, was a really heavy partier and uh, he didn't grow up that way, he wasn't taught that way and it was very difficult. But one day, God said, just take him and be his friend. And I, we're driving together. My son, Andrew, turns to me and said, Dad, anybody can destroy their life like I am. Only a few can do what you're doing. I would like to do what you're doing. I didn't dare breathe. I thought I'm going to ruin it, you know. But we pulled the car to the side of the road, and Andrew gave his life to Jesus. And he came to Eston and uh, went to Bible school. Uh, struggled with his addictions. He said, you know, I was an alcoholic one day uh, and I came to Bible school. Now I'm building a Bible school for alcoholics. <laughs> and um, that was his story. And he, he came and he taught his dad. He taught his dad who the alcoholic was, who the drug addict was, and how to help them and how to properly love them. And I learned from my son. The problem that was a big problem in our family became a solution, not only to him and to us, but for the village of hope today that exists. And so these are the things, my friend, that God writes in his book. And these are the days that were ordained for me as when there was not yet one of them. You know, folk, today I'm 27,800 and 98 days old. Not my birthday. Every day is my birthday. But there's never been a day like this one before. There's never been one day that's like today, and there never will be again. That's how unique. And if you, you know, they're your days. But if you think of it, there are 8.8 .8 billion people in the world, and not one of those people's days is like your days. They change every day. Now think of that. Think of that. Don't come and tell me you are not unique. You are very unique because nobody, 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 nobody will ever have a day exactly like your day, and they change every day. And so God has numbered all those days in his book. And when we started the Village of Hope, we took my grandfather's farm, lands, and we built the first village of hope, and it's quite a story because about eight years ago, I received the Order of the Red Cross from the president of Estonia during the eve of uh, uh, national independence, very distinguished crowd, uh, a big hall full of very important people. And I went up on stage, and he shook my hand, and he presented me with the uh, Order of the Red Cross, and he thanked me, but I heard another voice as I turned, and it was the voice of God, so unexpected, right there on the stage saying, today you have touched Estonia. And I walked off of that stage, and I said, thank you, Jesus, because it was never my plan. It was never my idea. It was never my intention to ever work with drug addicts and alcoholics, because that was not my life. I didn't know anything about them. I thought I could help the alcoholic, but the drug addict, he was kind of a spook somewhere behind the bushes or down the alley that I did not want to meet. Today, I love these people. I love to be with them. I love what to see, what God is doing in their lives, because God had a plan. God had a plan for me. And so, uh, 
when we got the Village of Hope started in Estonia, um, we were in New Brunswick, uh, gathering funds and so on, Andrew and I, and again, God spoke to us, said, I want a village of hope in New Brunswick. And of course, my first thing was to complain about it and say, God, that's a lot of work. And God said, don't worry, I've got everything all lined up. And I said, well, what do you have lined up? And when I talk about hearing God, it's down here in my heart, you know, here, kind of an impression, a gut feeling, so to speak, something that just intensively stays there. And uh, God said, I got everything all lined up. And I said, what do you have lined up? He said, I want you to get 200 acres of land. I want a river going through the middle of it. And the third thing is, I don't want you to pay more than $1 for it. Well, we met some people, and they all kind of did the same thing. They kind of laughed about it. And, and I met an old businessman. He was a kind of a tightwad, you know, hard to get anything. And so I wasn't even going to tell him what I wanted. But he wanted to know what we're doing, and so we said, we're looking for land, and so on. He said, oh, I got land, and I said, yeah, he's going to want a pretty penny, penny for it. So I wasn't going to bother, but God said, no, no, go look at it. So we would, drove down to a river, and when you drove down to a river, I looked at Andrew, and he looked at me and said, do you suppose this is it? And Andrew said, there's one way to find out. Let's offer him a dollar. And so we had lunch. We said, Byron do you think there's 200 acres here? And he said, well, it's got to be. I said, guess what? We're going to offer you no more. Would you, give, would you consider giving them to us for $1? And he looked at us and said, without a hesitation, it's yours. And we both fell off our chairs. And Andrew said, do you know what we said? And he said, I surely do know. Because God spoke to me down the river and said, whatever these boys ask you, I want you to give it to them. And I've been, he said, I've been sitting here waiting for you to ask me. You see, it was written in God's book. He had it all lined up. And you know, the surveyor surveyed that land, and it was exactly right to the button, 200 acres. See, God's great. And so, you know, we get that all started. And uh, it's quite a fantastic story. And then, of course, this year rolls around, and uh, last November, about a year ago, Elsie Welsh asked me to go down to Cuba to preach down there to a conference, and, you know, Rick Parkin couldn't make it, and uh, Ken Parker couldn't make it. I was the kind of, like, third choice, and, uh, but I said, oh, I'll go, I'll go down. Well, I got telling these stories, and these Cubans were all jumping up, up and down. They said, so we want a village of hope in Cuba. Well, Cuba's a communist country. You know, you just don't go to start a village of hope. First of all, we need a land. And they said, land is impossible to get. You have to marry somebody's grandmother to get land. Uh, and I wasn't about to do that. All the impossibilities that were there. And Elsie comes back and Tell, you know, in Cuba, they pay a dollar for a loaf of bread. Their salary is about $25 a month. Pay a dollar for an egg, dollar for a loaf of bread. And these people are very, very hungry. It's, it's a desperate situation. So Elsie comes back and meets this couple that are business people on the West Coast. And they, she, and they said, well, why, why don't you buy my farm? And Helen and Al gave $200,000 to start a farm. I thought it was a mistake at first. I thought it was 20000 but 200000 So we went back down there, 
and I can't tell you a story. It's, 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 a, it's a miracle, just believe me. But we have two farms down there today. We bought two farms for $30,000. And the Cubans are looking after it. They've got the oxen pounded. They planted corn. They got peanuts growing, and uh, we are st we have started a village of hope in Cuba. You see, uh, 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 and Helen Helen came down this time. I was just there uh, uh, just maybe a week and a half ago, and Helen came down, and uh, you know. Helen and her husband were poor people that decided they're not going to be poor anymore, but we're going to start a business. And they started a successful business and, and made all kinds of money. But they said, we started our business for the kingdom of God. You see, they did not limit themselves to what they could receive from it. But they said, we are going to start a business for and bless the kingdom of God. And so Helen was down there. I listened to her. She was as happy as, as if she was, you know, like out of, <laughs> out of right mind. She was just like, we're going to, I'm doing this for the kingdom of God's sake, using their business for the kingdom of God. I got a couple right here. Um, you see, it, it, let me tell you first of all, and then I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up here. Uh, uh, and then in the middle of it all, in the middle of it all, comes up, comes Eston. You know, and I, when I heard about Eston, I said, ah, no, no, we, we, there's too much going. And then I heard the voice of God. And God said, I'm giving you Eston because there's a crisis in the land. And you need to take it and be obedient to my voice. And the our board came out there to look at it, and they said, well, we need to make a decision. I said, guys, I came out not to make a decision. I came out because I heard my decision already from the voice of God in my heart. It was never my idea. It was never my plan. You know, we'd always started from scratch. We started from nothing. We started from a rabbit trail out in the woods and, and built villages of hope out of the raw and now all of a sudden we go to the opposite end of the stick and we walk into a facility that looks like, you know, a town mall or something. And I was on the roof of that place and I said, oh, dear Lord, help us, you know. Uh, but somebody said, well, there's about 200 beds there. What are you going to do with them all? I said, we're going to fill them. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fill it. Uh, because God has a plan. And, of course, uh, we, we wrote a letter. And actually, a pastor it wasn't given to us. Uh, we made an offer of $1. Andrew said, God, and $1 goes a long way. We have experience. So we wrote a letter to the board, and we offered them $1. And, of course, we paid $1, and we got the Eston College for $1. But, it's, but somehow God had that all planned out. In his book are written all the days of our lives and all the numbers of our lives. And in Ephesians 2 and 10, he said, For we are his workmanship, his workmanship, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He has it prepared for us to walk into it. And, of course, we looked at that big library, and we said, What are we going to do with it? We said, Let's start a bakery. Let's, as an industry, have a bakery. And... Uh, Kind of a wild idea. And so Alex and Sylvia write us from Salmon Arm. 
and said, we heard you started in Village Hope. We'd like to come and help you. Uh, they, didn't have, they didn't know anything else. And I said, Alex, what can you do? And Alex says, well, I can shovel snow. I can paint. But what would probably be of least value to you, for the last 40 years, I've been a baker. It was written in God's book. It's got it all lined up. And so God has a good plan. And by the way, we were cleaning out the library, and we come to the librarian's office, and you know what his name was? Ron Baker. <laughs> I think God has a sense of humor. Today, and let me just finish with this. Today, we are all over the news in Estonia constantly. We're the only and first volunteer fire department in the whole world, in the whole world, that operates of a drug rehab center. Guys that came in a wheelchair, our fire chief, our fire chief lived for three years behind the railway station out of a garbage dump. Today, he's on national news, won awards, uh, and we run a whole fire department. The town was all against us when we went there, the opposite of Essen. I've never been anywhere where they received us more graciously than Essen. But there they sing had signatures against us and everything. Today, no more signatures against us in Estonia because we are their fire department. And, uh, you know, two fire trucks, 70 calls a year. These guys that came there in a wheelchair operate these vehicles today and, and are first responders and, and work the jaws of life in accidents and things like that. See, what am I talking about? God has a plan! It's much greater than we can ever imagine. And I just invite you folk to pray for us and stand with us as we come to Eston there. Actually, my wife and I should be going back to Estonia, but, you know, the battle is fierce, but we're on the winning side. Praise God. God bless you.